Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Name on the Trophy, your Manchester United podcast. And we're getting very excited for the start of the Premier League season on today's episode. Um, I'm Dominic Boo, joined as always by Alex Wiley. It's it's like Christmas Eve, Alex. Um, apart from it's the Premier League, not Christmas. Yeah, it's the best part of the season because it's that point where anything could happen. Yeah, anything is possible. And on today's podcast, we're going to talk about um, what we consider to be United's main rivals in the top four, uh, top six, however you want to put it. Um, assess their transfer business and, and predict where we think they will finish and where we think United will finish and, and a little bit of insight behind uh, why we think that and and how they're shaping up, basically. So uh, an interesting task for us, I, I think, um, considering the business, all the other clubs, as well as United, because we haven't really talked about other clubs yet, um, what they have done in terms of the summer window, have we? No, and obviously... Um... We've kept on top of all the signings as they're happening, but it's only after sitting down to do this podcast where you actually look where those signings fit into the actual squads and where the holes still remain that you appreciate that quite a lot of our competitors aren't quite up to scratch yet. And it was only after sitting down and prepping for this that I came to that realisation. So I think it's going to be interesting to talk about that. Yeah, I came to the same thought actually. Um, just looking at some of the signings, I, I think Bar, I think two clubs are in fantastic shape, and I think the rest. So we're, we're looking at Man City, Arsenal, Liverpool, Chelsea, Spurs, and Newcastle are the ones that we're we're focusing on. We expect that to be the top seven, with all due respect to Aston Villa, probably who will probably be the 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 ones who will think they can barge down the door and get into that this season, considering. Um, the squad they have, but we'll, we'll talk about those. Um, what about Man City, uh, Alex? To start with, obviously, probably the most boring club to talk about, and I don't just say that because I'm a Manchester United fan. It's just because they don't seem to get anything wrong, and that makes them infinitely less interesting in my in my opinion. Yeah, it's. Um, I go back to the documentary on City when they won the league, and it was. It was so dull because there was so little at stake. <laughs> there was no conflict. It was just a team walking to the league. And it felt a yeah. bit like that looking at their transfer business. They've not done a huge amount. Obviously, Gavardiol is, I think, the most expensive defender in the Premier League now. A very good player, a player I like a lot. Brings in a left-sided, uh, another left-sided centre-back for them alongside Laporte. So I think I heard rumours could be going, but I'm not 100% sure. And other than that, really, the other pros for them, I think, are keeping hold of Kyle Walker in the face of Bayern Munich interest and keeping hold of Bernardo Silva in the face of PSG interest. I think those are big wins for them. The only real cons, or the only con I could think of, was that they've lost they've lost Riyad Mahrez, who to be fair, was I think in his 30s and they got a good fee for him, but haven't replaced him as such with an actual signing. But I guess the the, the counter-argument to that is they've got Phil Foden, who's ready to get more minutes. And also, as you saw in the Community Shield, Cole Palmer could be the season where he breaks through. But that was the only obvious con I could think to their to their window. Yeah, I've seen City linked with um, Michael Elise and um, Matoma of Brighton as potential uh, replacements for Mares. And I know that second Prickshaw interest is a, a huge champion of of Karu Matoma um, <laughs> back in the in the days when no one knew who he was. So, yes, kudos for you on that one. Um, Kovacic is the other one that we haven't we haven't mentioned. Um, we mentioned obviously both Guardiola and Kovacic on previous podcasts as potential. Uh, United targets and it's interesting that both have been snapped up by City I mean ne- the quality of neither player is a secret on the world stage I think I think Guardiola is sort of the coming force in terms of a, a youngish centre-back especially a left footer like you say mm-hmm. uh, and Kovacic just brings that sort of gnarled experience um, 
direct replacement for Ilkay Gundogan, who's gone. I, I don't think you could have got a better replacement for Gundogan. Um, you know, he's 29, but he's just ready-made to to start a whole heap of games in that City midfield and do a very fine job, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's, that's what's um, so enviable about the way that City run. They had Gundogan, one of their key players, leaving in the window, and within... <clears throat> Less than a month, they already had his replacement through the door. <laughs> it's just something at United. I think we, we will hopefully get more used to it, but we haven't seen that for the best part of 10 years, that sort of forward planning. Um, one other thing, I guess, to point out, going back to the winger situation, is they've only got one winger who's actually right-footed, and that's Jack Grealish. And I know Guardiola... He's similar to Ten Hag. He likes his wingers to cut in. He, he likes them to hug the touchdown as well, but he's also quite keen on them cutting in. Mares from the right with his left foot. Grealish with his right foot from the left. Um, so they are somewhat understaffed in that department, but that is really the only weakness I could find looking through. And yeah, you, you think if, if, if they go in for one more player before the window closes, it probably would be a winger. But then mm. I've seen them linked with Lucas Pacatara of West Ham. So I don't mm. know how, quite how that fits in. It's just like classic pep of just sign good players who play in a certain way and then mould the system around that. I mean, he seems to have a whole heap of centre-backs at the moment, but some of them will probably play in full-back positions. Some of them will play in midfield, like John Stones has done. Um, you know, he, he hasn't really signed a left-back for a few years now, but it hasn't seem to matter he just hasn't found one that he likes so therefore he's he's fit other players into that position Ake Laporte I guess Guardiola will probably play there at some yeah. point um it's a very fluid approach and a, but also a very sort of calm and composed com- approach that City uh taking the transfer window and they don't seem to panic but you know they just get the players they want and then and then stay out of um other deals with, that might get, get a bit complicated, like the Declan Rice one, for example, this summer, they they just didn't want to take part in that as soon as the price got above a, a certain amount, I think 100 million, they said too much. Mm. And I agree with them. I'm sure we'll talk about it with Arsenal, but I think that that was far too much for Declan Rice. Um, yeah, look, with City, you've just won the treble. You don't need to change anything drastically. It's just about managing squad turnover in Gundogan, Riyad Mahrez, you don't need you don't need to change anything too much. I think I don't think Pep fully trusts Laporte, and he's the only left footed centre back. Bar actually, I think Nathan Ake might be left footed as well. Yeah, yeah but he, he sort of plays wherever Pep tells him to. Yeah, he play centre back a lot of the time. Yeah, and I think with Gavardiol, obviously he fits in at that left centre back, but he also can play left back. He has done in the past. Um, and he's one of the best left-footed young centre-backs progressing the ball forward, not only with his passing, but also with his running. I think he'll be, I think he'll look very, very good straight from the off. So yeah, I've got, <laughs> I've got no worries about City. I'm, I'm just worried about how good they're going to be. So what's your grade for their their business and what's your prediction for where you think they'll finish? I think both are probably fairly obvious. Well, so for the window, because it's been fairly non-eventful, I gave it a B, which might be harsh. I was I was umming an R in between an A or a B. It's just when you don't, when there aren't that many marquee signings, well, I guess there's one marquee signing, but when there's not a lot of them, it's hard to be like, oh, it's a brilliant window. But to be honest, it, it's a good window. So it'd be a B or an A. And obviously I, I think they're going to finish first. And it's also worth pointing out, I've got sort of two lists I've got a list that I made intuitively of where I think teams will finish. And I've also got a list from the betting companies, basically aggregated of what they're going to predict and where they think clubs are going to finish. So my intuitive list was City first, obviously. And obviously the betting market agrees with that. Yeah, no, I can't say anything other than I agree with with both of those. I think City will finish first, barring... Something miraculous, but as we said at the top of the podcast, that's that's why the start of the season is so great because you can think all those miraculous things might happen. Um, yeah. It's only when you get to February, March, April where they don't happen and it all turns back to reality. But yeah, City to finish first and 
solid transfer business, maybe a B plus if we're for being more yeah. granular. Um Arsenal then mm-hmm. made possibly the the biggest moves uh, of any club in the Premier League in terms of money and maybe surprising moves as well. I think attracting Rice um to me it was a surprise. I expected him to go to City actually before the window started. And obviously Kai Havertz and Jurian Timber, another two players who we mentioned on the podcast actually in the recent past in relation to United. 60 million for Havertz and 38 million for Timber from Ajax, who is sort of versatile defender, centre back who can play at full back. What do you make of this business? There's some eyebrows raised at the Rice and Havertz deals from around the footballing world. Yeah, as I said at the start, I think I like Rice. He's obviously got a lot of experience in the Premier League. He's still young. From what I've heard, his character is like captain material. I still think, given his skill set on the pitch, a hundred plus million is for me a huge overpayment, like a ginormous overpayment for what you're getting. That being said, I think they've added depth and they needed that. You saw that at the tail end of last season that they needed to add more players to come in when the others were injured. So they've added depth and they've added quality. And I really like Urien Timber. I think that right-sided, so they got their right fullback who's also sort of a centre-back in Tomeyasu slash Ben White, who plays like quite a unique role in and out of possession. I'd actually argue Urien Timber is one of the best signings they could have made for that position. Because I think that's where he'll play. Even though he played left back in the community shield, I imagine that's where he's going to play. So I think Urien Timber for me is a big tick. And Kai Havertz, I think they've slightly overpaid for him. But as I said on the Chelsea podcast a few months ago, I really rate Kai Havertz. I just don't 100% know where he fits in to this Arsenal team. I'm not sure if they're envisioning him being in that sort of Odegaard position or being up front or being a winger. I'm not sure. Or maybe it's all three and he's just going to fit in if and where he needs to. But honestly, I think it's been a a good window for a team that is already on the up. Yeah, I do agree. And although we bickered about Havertz on that previous podcast where... I didn't want him anywhere near United and then and you did. And then he's ended up moving to, you know, the team who finished second and challenged for the league last season. It's probably probably a win for you on that one. Um I do like the signing because I think it brings them options, like you say. Um what is interesting is that I think Gabriel Jesus is now injured. And so Kai Havertz is probably going to start the season as Arsenal's number nine, which is mm-hmm. the role that many have questioned his capability to play in based on his spell at Chelsea, missing a lot of chances. It just doesn't look comfortable in that role to me. I don't, I don't think he is a number nine. Uh, he, he is probably going to start the season there. But then last season, Arsenal dropped off quite a bit when when Jesus was out. That was one of the reasons why they they dropped off in the title race. So they were sort of trying to replace him. And Ketia came in. I know he scored a couple against United in that game, but didn't sort of provide the, the real depth of goals uh, that they're looking for. So... It's an interesting one. I think Arsenal will drop off slightly from last year, but not. I think the signings mean that that won't be too great a drop off. I think mm-hmm. that they've got quality, and last year they outperformed. They overperformed where they should have been. I don't think there's any yeah. doubt in that. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, that being said, I think they still were clearly the second best team in the league for me it should have been like third and fourth quite far away united and um can't even oh, newcastle should have been a bit further away and then there should have been a bit of a gap arsenal and then there should have been a bit more of a gap and city it shouldn't have been as close the arsenal and city title race as it was given how good both teams were in my opinion so i could see I, I, I could see Arsenal not 
being in a title race, but still being more or less the same quality they were last year. And people might perceive that as a drop-off. But I think last year was a little funny, small sample sizes and all that, where City still looked really good, but they weren't quite getting the points at the start of the season. And Arsenal yeah. looked good, but didn't look quite that good to be getting as many points as they did. And that led to a title race. You never know with, with a Premier League season, certain things can go your way. But I can see Arsenal, I, I do see Arsenal finishing second again and probably just not being as close to the top as they were last season. Yeah, so I have Arsenal third in my predictions. Uh, mm-hmm. I think they'll still be good. I don't think they'll be in a title race. I think the Champions League commitments will complicate things for Arteta because he liked to incredibly settled side last, last season. He, he barely made any changes, only when they were enforced due to injury. Mm. Um, and that's going to be a challenge for him this year. I mean, they, they they potentially have that extra bit of depth, Rice and Havertz and Timber, but it's not a huge amount. They have lost Xhaka, um, who actually massively um, massively performed, I think, last, last season, was a massive part of, of their success sort of against it, people's expectations of him. I think, um, yeah, Arsenal third, and I rate that I do rate their business as B. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. the only thing that's holding it back is how much they've spent. I think if they've spent a little bit less on the same three players, then it's A-plus uh, material. That's more or less where I was with it. I thought I gave them a B as well. Um, good deals. They've just overspent. And just to go... Back to what the what the betting market has Arsenal at. It also has Arsenal at second. So I think we can say between us two and the betting market, second and third seems about right. Yeah, well, I'm I'm going more off instinct, and you're going more off data, which is nothing new on this podcast. But <laughs> no, no. But I would like to say that my list of where I thought initially that was, I say intuitive. Obviously, in the back of my head, I've got all these all the numbers were in a way, but that's about as intuitive as I can be. And obviously the betting market is the more quantitative uh, list. But to be fair, they were very closely aligned by one one team. I'm not having you claiming that you're more intuitive than anything, really. I, I think you're in line with the data <laughs> almost all the time. That's absolutely fine. People expect that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's part of the brand, but I do, I do try. I, I, I want to disagree with the data sometimes because the data fundamentally is not always going to be correct i think if you were to do a, a little test it would be more correct than intuition i do believe that but i also think that intuition picks up on things that data never can so i want to be wrong sometimes <laughs> when i'm not it's 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 kind of a catch-22 well do, do you want to be wrong on the next team i suspect you probably do want to be wrong because it's liverpool um as united fans we always want them to to underperform what they should do. Um, it's been a really interesting summer for, well, it's sort of been an underwhelming summer for Liverpool, really. They're still searching around for that number six defensive midfield signing. And they've only got two players uh, through the door. I know that they signed Gakpo last January and they, they did sign a few players uh, in the sort of last year or two to help cope with the turnover of their squad, you know, departures of people like, Firmino, obviously Milner, and then Henderson and, and Fabinho have been the, the big ones recently to the Saudi Pro League. But they seem to have lost far more than they've they've gained this window. And I know a couple of Liverpool fans who are a little bit concerned that they haven't had um, a better window. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool, they're a, it's a strange one to try and analyse because last season, if you're looking at expected goals for and against expected goal difference. They were fifth in the league. So apparently it was City, then Newcastle, believe it or not, then Arsenal, Brighton, then Liverpool, then United. Uh, I think they hugely underperformed last season relative to actually how well they played and what they were capable of. So all things being equal, let's just say they didn't bring anyone in or out. I would expect them to do better this season than they did last season just by pure regression to the mean. Their actual window itself, I don't think it's a bad window. I think Alexis McAllister, they got for a good amount of money. He's a good age, Premier League proven, good player, 
Shabbos Lai. Shabbos Lai. I always struggle with that. Shabbos Lai. I was avoiding saying that, to be honest. Yeah. Dominic. Yeah. Dominic Shabazzlai. There we go. He is a very good footballer. He has, he likes to shoot from distance a bit too often for my liking, but technically very good. Fits in quite nicely because he can play as a centre mid or sort of like a number eight position or the wide position. So he fits into their team quite nicely. But as you alluded to at the start or said at the start, defensive midfield is a problem. I don't think the higher-ups banked on Fabinho leaving this window. I think he was still going to be their designated number six. They've obviously let him go, and they've let him go for a good amount of money, but they haven't filled that gap at all, really. I mean, they've got Bacetic, who he's still 18. From my data about him, so our Sabre score has him as a 75, which is slightly below average for a Premier League centre midfielder. He's obviously got a lot of potential. He's only 18 years old, but it doesn't suggest he's going to be the starting number six at Liverpool. And I don't think McAllister should really be playing there. I don't think that's what he's best at. I think you're looking at the rest of the team. Curtis Jones isn't a number six. Thiago could play there, but I don't think he's got the legs to do defensive work anymore. He'd be great on the ball, but it's just off the ball. There'd be big concerns. So unless they bring in the number six, I think they're going to be in trouble. Yeah, I think that loss of Fabinho is absolutely massive and hasn't actually been talked about enough by journalists and pundits because the role that he played, especially when they won the league a few years ago, when he was at his very best, I know he probably has slightly peaked and yeah, he's gone to the Saudi Pro League, which maybe says says something about how he is, but he's 29. <laughs> he's, he's not... You know, he's not over the hill. He shouldn't be over the hill. And I think he had a few more good years at Liverpool left in him. So I was really surprised to see them let him go. I know 40 million, like you say, is a decent amount of money. Um, and I think Romeo Lavia uh, from Southampton is the player that Liverpool want to, to replace him. Maybe if they get him, the picture changes a little bit. I think over-reliance on Mo Salah will continue to be a theme for Liverpool. Um, mm. How far he is past that that peak. Um I think he keeps pulling out ridiculous returns, doesn't he? And almost carrying Liverpool on his back for the last couple of years. Um, but he's 31 now. So, yeah, I don't know. I I, I find Liverpool the hardest team of this um, group to actually predict because I know what they're capable of at their best. They're, they're, you know, very close to City at their best a couple of years ago, but we haven't really seen that. Mm. Um, and it could be one of those seasons where it all just falls apart and, you know, you see huge sweeping changes, even clock going or something like that. So I rate their window a D. You, that's mm-hmm. probably a bit harsher than you, maybe. Um, I think yeah, I, I do, do agree that McAllister's a good signing, but I don't know anything about Spozzoli. How are you supposed to say it? That was terrible. <laughs> that's definitely wrong. Spozzoli? Spozzoli. I don't, yeah, I don't know enough about him to know whether he's going to tear the league up or not. I know that his stats are good. Um but he comes into a midfield which is a little bit fragmented. So um, Liverpool, I rate a D in terms of business and I'm predicting that they're going to finish fifth. Okay. We're not too far apart. I've gone for a C for their window. Like I said before, they've added a bit of depth in those sort of number eight positions after losing Dean Henderson um, obviously Fabio Carvalho has gone out on loan as well Naby Keita's gone so they've done well to replace that I thought they actually did quite well to get some money on Jordan Henderson given how long was left of his contract and his age in terms of where they're going to finish I had them down as fourth so I think they'll sneak into the Champions League spa- uh, places the market funnily enough actually has them as third which I thought was Interesting. Yeah, I I thought that was interesting. Um, I thought they'd have them lower. I think a lot of it is an assumption that they will regress the means somewhat, but I think their squad is maybe not quite as good as it was last year. I think losing Roberto Firmino might might hurt them in the long run. And like you said, Salah, you do notice with footballers, when they drop off, it's steep. 
it's not a gradual, especially with attackers. He's sort of Ronaldo, yeah. so it gets to a point and then it does drop off pretty, pretty quick. Their body just can't deal with the with the load anymore. They get injured a lot. And I know Salah takes great care of himself, but I think that is somewhat precarious. Now, look, they've loaded their attacking line with a lot of young players who still should have quite a lot of upside. And there's there's a good chance that one of them really take off next yeah. year and that carries them to the Champions League spaces. So I don't know. But I agree with you. It, I think bar maybe Chelsea is probably the hardest one I've, I've found to grade. Yeah, Chelsea Chelsea's always going to be hard given what they've been through in the last year. It'll be interesting when we <laughs> come on to them next, actually. But yeah, I think Darwin Nunes, Cody Gakpo, Luis Diaz, they're exciting players, but none of them are particularly proven yet uh, in the Premier League and with Liverpool. One of them may have a 20, 25-goal season in them. Who knows? Um, I certainly think Darwin Nunes could could manage that based mm. on you know the promise that he showed last year despite a whole flurry of critics coming his way i actually think every time i've seen him he looks a very dangerous player just a little bit chaotic and sort of unorthodox sometimes in his his approach mm. which uh the captain chaos i think jamie carragher called him didn't he uh, i think that is ex- exactly it but if he can manage that chaos he's a perfect jürgen klopp liverpool forward isn't he so that'll be I think that'd be really interesting. He's going to go in my fantasy team actually this year, Darwin Nunes. Yeah, I think that's a good chat. He's when I was talking before about uh, intuition and data. When you watch Darwin Nunes, it's so easy to think he's a bad footballer because he's chaotic, he's clumsy. Sometimes his touches aren't great, but if you actually just look at the numbers, his expected goals last season was the second highest in the league, I believe, after Erling Haaland's. It was point. 7-3. I'm looking at it right now. It's in the top 2% for strikers in the European leagues. He had nearly five shots a game. That's the top 1%. His expected assisted goals is in the top 7%. And his combined uh, expected goals and assists, top 1%. <laughs> I mean, I know he, he is chaotic and he's clumsy. And I imagine for Liverpool fans, he's very frustrating. But they're is the potential to be an absolutely phenomenal, borderline world-class player there. And he's one of those guys, he's probably the guy I bet on the most that could really just suddenly take off and get you, like you said, 20, 30 goals a season. Yeah, interesting one. Yeah, the evolution of Darwin is going to be the theme of the season. Um, Very good. On to Chelsea then. Another hard team to predict, another team that's seen a heck of a lot of change uh, over the summer and over the last year. Obviously, Mauricio Pochettino, is now in stall as manager. They've signed a few players this summer, not as many as last summer or in January. It would have been hard to do that. Uh, and they've let quite a few go as well. I mean, let's just go through the players that they could let go. This is harking back to our Chelsea podcast a while ago. I think we probably mentioned all of these. Havertz, Mount, Kovacic, Koulibaly, Pulisic, Mendy, Loftus-Cheek, um, Aubameyang, Kante, as Pilaqueta, they're all uh, Bakayoko, if you can count him as well. They're all players who have left this summer. Um, all players that I don't know if all of them needed to go, but a lot of them probably needed to be yeah, shipped off given their wages and just the need to balance the books with FFP. What do you make of the players they brought in, though, Alex? I know Nicholas Jackson is one that you really like, and Kunku. Axel de Sassi from Monaco. Um, what do you think? If I, if we were to isolate each of these signings and I was to talk about them in isolation, I'd be happy with almost all of them. And Kunku is one of the best young strikers in world football and has been for quite a few years. Nicholas Jackson's had an absolutely fantastic season in La Liga, which I think... I think, and I, through the data, is the second hardest league to score in. And he's had a very, very good goal-scoring season in that league. He's a bit more of a gamble because he's only really had one year of football. So I'd say the confidence intervals are bigger for that one. Dezassi, I'm not quite so keen. I know United liked him. I think he's a good player. And I, I do think with centre-backs, you need to pull away from the data a bit more and, and more watch players. But Disaster, I think, is probably the one I'm not quite so keen on. Uh, Levy Colwell, who they managed to keep, I think, is a is a real 
big win for them and a big plus because he's a great player. And even Ugo Chukwu, who's the young defensive midfielder they've signed, he's one of the players that our model rates as a wonder kid and I've liked for quite a long time. So in isolation, I I would rate almost all these deals, either an A or a B. But in totality, it's just too much player trading. <laughs> it's, there's too much instability to build a team around. And I think the owners still don't appreciate that footballers are not stocks. This is not uh, an investment fund in the traditional sense that they're used to managing. You need, these are human beings that need to like get to know each other and build a cohesive unit and learn how to play with one another. You can't just bring in and out 10 players every single window and expect it to work. And I know you said at the start, it's been a quieter window, but it, quieter. it's still it, quieter, but it's still extremely busy when you actually look at just the, the number of players they've brought in and out. It's, it's far too much instability for me. And even though I like, like I said before, a lot of the deals they make, if you're going to continue to be this chaotic, it's 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 not going to work. Uh, I said I said it when they first did it. I didn't think it would work, and I'm I'm more bullish now that they need to just pull back a little bit. Yeah, well, you say stocks and trades, but the way that they have managed the situation and with with huge player turnaround, they've lost money on players. You know, Pulisic joined for fifty eight million a few years ago from Dortmund. They've let him go for seventeen million to Milan. Koulibaly. They brought him in for one year. I think he earned eight million pounds in that year. He cost thirty-three million, and they've sold him for twenty. So it's a that's a big loss on a player in one year. So it isn't smart business either. It's you know, let alone let alone thinking about the football side, it isn't good business. They're they're losing money. Financial fair play, you know, is a big worry for Chelsea, and now they've got a new manager who I I rate enormously. I think Pochettino is mm-hmm. a fantastic manager. Would have happily had him at United. Um, despite all the calls that people didn't want him at United after his PSG spell, I thought he was actually judged quite harshly for his PSG spell. Mm. Um, but has Pochettino got the tools there uh, for Chelsea to compete? I've got no idea. I've got absolutely no idea how good Chelsea are going to be. I've got a sneaking suspicion they might be quite good because I think they've got a very good manager and the raw materials are all there. I think they might start the season slowly, but they might eventually come good. Yeah, I'm I'm inclined to agree that as the season wears on, they'll get better and better. But if you look at the team, it's full of brilliant footballers, but there's, there's still areas of the pitch that they're surprisingly weak in. When you look at centre midfield, okay, they've got Enzo Fernandez, who I spoke about before as being, I think, one of the better, better mid- midfielders in, in the world. But other than that, they haven't got a huge amount of just centre midfielders. I mean, the other, the only other centre midfielder they've got who's older than 22 is Conor Gallagher, and he's 23. The other centre midfielders are Andre Santos, 19. Ugo Chukwu, I spoke about before, 19. I don't think ready to play first team for Chelsea just yet. Needs another loan deal. Um then they've got Cassidy, who I think is going on loan. He's 20. Other midfielders are in their teens. And they've also got seven centre-backs. And from memory, I don't remember Pochettino ever playing with a back three. So I don't know how seven centre, how seven goes into two without being a big problem. So it's still not... It's just not fully thought through. Well. I don't. It's, all, it's still imbalanced, even though there's loads of great footballers there. So... I still think this is going to be a season in which Chelsea aren't quite at the races, but I appreciate this. This is the one where I could be the most wrong on because as I spoke about about 20 minutes ago, this is the one I found the hardest. So what have you gone for in terms of the grade and the prediction? So I gave the window a D. Which... Okay, I would I would say better than a D. I would say probably a C, but that's, that's yeah. just purely hedging my bets completely because I don't know if we've had a good one or not. <laughs> Yeah, I thought they did well. They made a lot of money on sales. I know they made a loss on some of the players. I guess they'll argue that they didn't actually buy the quote-unquote stock, but they have made, I mean, 250 million, quarter of a billion on, on player sales is fairly impressive. And in terms of where they, I think they'll finish in the league, I thought fifth and the betting market agreed with me and also had them down as fifth. Okay, I've said fourth. Um, purely because of that 
ceiling that I think they have got and the manager they've got, if they give him time, if the players come good, and both of those are probably the biggest ifs in the Premier League at the moment, given it's Chelsea. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll see. I think I think they're a really, really interesting team to watch this season. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, who the hell lines up for them to start with um, and <laughs> how they perform when they actually do play. I think they're playing Liverpool first up, so that's going to be uh, a huge test. I do not expect them to win that game uh, to start with. But if they do, they could... You know, create some momentum rather sharpish. Um, let's go on to Spurs, um, Alex, who had yeah. an absolute shocking season last season. Another team with a huge manager turnover. They sacked a manager and then sacked his caretaker. Finished the season with Ryan Mason in charge and stumbled to uh, eighth place finish, I think it was. But they seem to have got their ideas in order a little bit with the appointment of Ange Postecoglou, which I I think is a good appointment as manager, former Celtic manager. And mm-hmm. they've signed a few players who I don't think are completely top bracket uh, players like we've been talking about with some of the other clubs. I think they are players for the future and improving players. And I think it will be a sort of season of transition for Tottenham, whether or not they keep hold of Harry Kane, which is obviously the, the million dollar question around Spurs. I kind of don't think that matters. I think either way, they will be a side looking to push towards the top four, but they won't get in it. That's the way I see it. I'd agree with that. If I was using last season as a basis for predicting this season, look, they 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 had a bad season, and and their numbers didn't suggest they should have had a better one. So it's quite a low. It's quite a low rung on the ladder to to begin with. I don't dislike their deals. I think they've signed players at the right age. There's a lot of players with with upside. They haven't spent crazy money on any of these players either. So I think that's quite good. They managed to get around 10 million for Harry Winks, which I think is not too bad either. My biggest concern, or I guess I have two concerns with, with Tottenham, they're going from playing a back three to going back to a back well, just two centre-backs. And I think that needs different personnel and there's a, there's a transition involved. And the second side of it is they now need more traditional wingers, which they didn't have before. They played, they had sort of inside, I don't know what you call it, inside, well, either 10s or inside wingers, I don't know what you want to call them. But that's what they had. And their squad is remarkably short on out and out wingers and yeah. um likes likes wingers he likes people that get out wide um he likes to attack down that part of the pitch i am a little concerned with i mean solomon is a guy who in the past has been a wonder kid on our app i like him whether he's ready to make this bigger step up i'm not 100 percent sure Youngmin Son, where's he going to play? I I don't know. I think they still need to bring in at least one more winger. And as you said, the Harry Kane issue, if they lose Harry Kane, I think they'll really, really struggle. So they're actually, out of all the teams that we're going to talk about, I have them as finishing the lowest. So I have them as finishing yep. seventh. Me the too. market yep. agrees. Also has them finishing seventh. And grading the window itself, I actually I initially put down a D, but I think on reflection, I'd push it up to a C. I don't think it's been a terrible window yet. Yeah, you see, I think it would be a C, and I actually think it would be a B if they sold Harry Kane. And that seems completely counterintuitive. But I think, and a lot of people have said this, it's not, it's not an outlandish viewpoint at all, that they just should sell Harry Kane and move on to a new era use the funds to reinvest in other areas of the squad. Like you say, if they need another winger, they obviously would need a striker to replace Kane. Um, I'm not sure about their goalkeeping situation. I know they've signed Vicario from Empoli. Is he the new number one? I don't know. Um, there's a few question marks that I think would be answered if they sold Kane and used those funds wisely. Uh, in a situation that not dissimilar so when they sold Gareth Bale all those years ago and sold uh, and bought loads of players, about seven or eight players with that money. I know they got a lot wrong with those seven or eight players, 
but it did actually precipitate the most successful period that Spurs have had in the last 50 years when Pochettino yeah. came in and got it right with a lot of those players like Ericsson and Lamella and people like that. So, yeah, I I like Madison as a signing for 40 million. I think that's a great deal. I think he suits them really well. I'm looking forward to seeing him play for Spurs. Van der Ven, uh, I've heard really good things about as a left-sided centre-back. Mm-hmm. And they've made the Kulisevsky deal permanent. I like that as well. So, yeah, I'll give them a C plus. I think at the moment, um, but I do think they will finish seventh. Having said all of that, I think they're yeah. just too too much in transition to to think that they'll challenge towards the top end. Yeah, it's the first it's the first one I've done where the window doesn't quite like how I graded the window doesn't quite match what I think their season's going to be. But they're I think that's such because... a low point, aren't exactly, they? That's the exactly. Problem. Yeah, they, yeah. They came um, eighth last year, and Chelsea finished below them. So yeah, know, that that says a heck of a lot about how far they need to catch up. Yeah, I think selling Harry Kane is the right thing to do in the long term. I think if they sold him this window, they would suffer this season. I don't think, I mean, how long how long we got left until the end of the window? Three weeks? Yeah. About three weeks until the end of the window, they probably would need to bring in another striker. I don't think Richarlison's quite good enough to rely on for a team that wants to be pushing for Champions League spots. And even so, that would still leave them a little... A little... Um, limited i also as much as i like kulisevsky and james madison i don't 100 percent know how they'll fit into the way that postacoglu likes to play because they're kind of wingers i mean madison's kind of a 10 i don't know if he's if they're going to be playing in those center midfield or spots or they're going to be playing out wide there's a lot of sort of ifs and buts with this team and it, and it mostly comes from the fact that they've been bringing in managers that don't suit the same style of football and so their squad's just a bit all over the shop and I don't know how you go from Conte to Postacoglu they they have completely different ideas of the game completely different ways of approaching it and I think there will be teething problems as a result of that so I think they'll be good I, I don't think Post, I think Postacoglu is a, a good manager and I, I hope he does well because I like him but I still think this will be a season of transition yeah absolutely um, what about Newcastle then final team apart from United we'll do a little bit on United at the end but we do spend a lot of our time in this podcast talking about United so let's talk about Newcastle um Tonali from Milan Harvey Barnes from Leicester uh Tino Liveramento uh, as their main signings I think um is it Yankuba Minte as well from Odense who's a sort of a teenager who's going to get loaned out but the main three signings there I kind of think they're all good I think that I think that Newcastle are continuing to be quite sensible despite having a whole heap of money to play with and they could go crazy. They're doing slightly quieter uh, operations in the transfer market than you might expect. I think the reason for that is FFP. And the reason I say that is because um, Alan St. Maximin was sold and according to Eddie Howe specifically, so they could meet the FFP requirements. So I think that's the reason they haven't splurged as much as they'd like to. I think if this was 10 years ago, this would have been a far, far busier window for Newcastle. Yeah. With the signings they're bringing in, I think Harvey Barnes is very good. I really like Harvey Barnes. Whether he's an upgrade on St. Maximum, I'm not sure if he is. So different. (laughs) They're so different. Yeah, and, and I do a lot more functional. Yes, but I also think that what you can get out of um, St. Maximin is, I think there's a higher ceiling there. And I thought there was a bigger age gap between the two, but there's not really, because Harvey Barnes, I mean, he was in the academy when I worked at Leicester, so in my mind's eye, he's always young, but he's actually, I think, 25 now. I don't think he's a, a quote. He'll get older, Alex, I'm afraid. I know, he's, he's, not, he's not a young player anymore, and St. Maximin's 26. So There's not a huge difference. So I think with that, I'm not sure if I'm not sure if you've actually got slightly worse. Livermento, I like, but is surely going to be a backup to Trippier for at least a year or two. And Tonali's the only one who I guess well, I, I guess you could say is an upgrade. But and I might say something slightly controversial here. I think Sandro Tonali is one of the most 
overrated footballers on the planet. I was waiting. And I've for said this. that. I've said that for years. <laughs> um, when He's I a watch bit of a football him, manager, um, football manager yeah. stream, isn't he? He, he? he was a big, big deal on that as a wonder kid a few years ago. Yeah, but and I remember I've, him I've being had... talked about a heck of a lot, but I haven't actually seen it... that much of him. Yes, there's been like I've I've had conversations with. So there was a guy who worked, he sort of works in Greece slash Italy and we were doing scout reports and, and ours wasn't very favourable of Tonali. And this this is about three years ago. It's when it, it was at Brescia, I think. So it was a long time ago. And he had a real problem with that. He had a problem with data in general, but he had a problem with that because he said, this guy is going to be one of the best footballers in the world. How can you say he's not going to be very good? And... I guess to some extent he's been proven correct because he went on to play for AC Milan. But if you look at his numbers, so he, he quite often gets likened to Pirlo. And I think that's because he looks a bit like Pirlo and he plays in similar positions to Pirlo. But he's nothing like Pirlo in the way that he plays. So he, he doesn't really get on the ball that much. He's like average for how often he gets on the ball. His pass completion is in the bottom 10% for centre midfielders in world football. His progressive passes, you'd, you'd like to think, okay, well, at least he's trying like certain progressive passes. That's in the bottom 45%. So there's nothing outstanding there. The only thing that really stands out on his numbers are his assist numbers. Like he, he assists one in five games, which is is very good. So I'll give him that. But I look at that data profile and like defensively does, doesn't do that much either. And I do think, is that a sixty million pound footballer? Like, I don't. I just don't think it is. And I'm very, very interested to see how he does because this could be an instance where the numbers are wrong, and I need to shut up and take that. Or it's yet another instance of the numbers being right, and I can I can gloat about it endlessly. We'll see. Yeah, they're not always right. You you you, you I know. have hits and misses. <laughs> um, yes. What is interesting is that he just seems to be on the precipice of. Of something. So if if he shines now at the age of twenty three, with a you know an upwardly mobile club like Newcastle, then you know we might be talking about him in that top bracket. He's going into a pretty good midfield. You know, next to Bruno Gamares, I think that will help him. Anyone playing next to Bruno Gamares, um, you know, is going to be benefited. I just don't know. Like you say, I just don't know whether he sort of turns Newcastle into something else. You know, does, does he take them to that next level that they're looking for? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Whether the stats say, say he does or not. Um, and maybe that's where the new, where Newcastle have been hampered a little bit, like you say, by FFP and by what they're able to do. And in another world, they would have gone even bigger this, this window and taken that next step, you know, having finished in the top four, they've got champions league football. Is that squad really ready to take on the challenge of Champions League football and mount a, another top four push in the Premier League mm. under a kind of untested manager in that regard and Eddie Howe, as much as I think Eddie Howe is is a good, if not great manager, there's a lot of question marks over Newcastle. A lot of question marks. Um, yeah, I saw them a heck of a lot last season. It seemed every time I turned on Sky Sports last season, it seemed to be <laughs> Newcastle that was on. I think the Premier the, the Sky Sports had a love affair with showing them. Right, um, and they didn't dominate a lot of games. They they didn't they didn't seem to boss teams. They seemed to win games and stifle teams. They had an excellent defensive record. Yeah. Um, they were a hugely hardworking side, but they never sort of dazzled uh, and played teams off the park. The only time they did was against United at St James's actually late in the season that two nil. Um, but the reverse happened in the Carabao Cup. United played them off the park. So, yeah, interesting. I have them down as six. Um, purely because I think yeah. they're probably better than Spurs, but yeah. I don't. I, I don't think other than, other than that they're they're going to be hugely special. Click that up and put it out in May when they come second or third. Yeah, <laughs> I mean you can clip me up as well because I I agree. I think I had them down as sixth. Betting market has them down as sixth, and I think you make a good point about Champions League football. It's not really something I thought about, but that is going to add a lot of stress onto that team and the one thing I did notice is they don't have many centre-backs you know they've got Sven Botman who I like Fabian Shah who I don't dislike but 
he was part of a very good defense last season, so I can't take that away from him. Lascelles, and then after that, I mean, Dan Byrne is more of a left back, really. He can play centre back. That's that's all they've got, and I think one big injury to one of those players, especially Sven Botman, and the linchpin of last season, the the key thing that kept them as high as they were was their defense. And if that falls or that or that drops a level, I think they'll suffer. So I do think I think it's reasonable to expect them to drop off a little bit this season, but still be still be good. Yeah, uh, and how do you rate their window? I think it's a. Uh... I think it's a C. I think it's quietly okay without being stunning. I gave them a D and that's probably my Tonali bias coming to the fore. But I just I just think that spending that sort of money on a player like that is it's it's difficult to and then that's your key signing because of obviously FFP restrictions. So yeah, I <laughs> I'm sure this will all get clipped up and I'll look like an idiot, but yeah, I gave it a D. The anti-Tonali bias is is real. Uh, yeah, okay, so that means there's one place left in our top seven predictions, uh, and that is for Manchester United. Uh, it's obvious where we both put them. I've gone a little bit more optimistic than you, and I've gone for second, and you've gone for third, which would be a continuation of last season for you. So you're not saying that United are going to improve on last season. Interesting. Well... My basis for that was that United, I think, overperformed last season based on, yes, the data, but also watching them. I didn't think we were the clearly third best team in the league. Our expected goal difference had us down as the sixth best team in the league, believe it or not. I think we were better than that. I would have had, I would have had us around fourth-ish. And I think whilst our window's been good and I think it will raise our level... We now also have Champions League football, which I guess is technically less football, but it's also more high stakes football that that could have that could have a negative effect. I, I'm just I'm just more or less the, the the main thing I'm waiting is where I actually think we were last season and where I think we're going to get to. So I think we have improved. I just don't see us improving to the point in which we're better than Arsenal and certainly not better than City. And of course, I hope I'm wrong. I really do hope I'm wrong. And in a conversation with friends the other day, I had us down as second, but it was only after sitting down and sort of bringing myself back to earth. I thought a third's a bit more reasonable. Is that a so, bullish, bullish beer fueled uh, prediction with friends? Yeah, you just I, I'd love a title challenge, and it's a good team. But the truth is, every team we've spoke about is good. There's no duds. So yeah. as much as I think our team's good, all the other teams are also really good. So, yeah, we'll see. I've got him down as third, but I really, really hope I'm wrong. Yeah, I've obviously said second. I just think that last season, there's a few things with the goal difference last season. So United lost 4-0 to Brentford and 7-0 to Liverpool, which I think were both freakish results. Um, and, you know, opposition fans will laugh, but I think you can sort of take them out of the of the data in a sense. Uh, I certainly take them out of my memory. But... <laughs> You know, with Onana, that's a huge difference in terms of um, the style of play and, you know, a lot more cohesive in terms of what Ten Hag wants. I think Onana is a transformative signing in that sense. Um, United have got a striker. I don't know how much of a, an upgrade he is on last season, but I think he is an upgrade on, on, on the options that Ten Hag had available last season. You know, Valveg Horst for the second half of the season. And now Hoyland... Um, I'm sh- I feel sure he'll score more than zero goals in the Premier League. I hope so. <laughs> um, for 64 million up front and a few add-ons, you'd, you'd, you'd bloody well hope so. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think United have had a very good window and maybe not the best of all these clubs that we're looking at. I think I'd probably give it a B. Um, but I think that Ten Hag's getting what he wants, despite all the, the stuff of the takeover in the background. He's shown absolute ruthlessness. You know, Maguire is on his way to West Ham. De Gea's gone. Uh, last season, Ronaldo went. He's getting exactly what he wants, and the thinking is a lot more joined up. Um, there's a lot more clarity, especially in you know, you look at Chelsea, look at Spurs, look at Liverpool. 
I think United actually showing a little bit more clarity in their thinking than all three of those clubs at the moment. So that can only be a positive. It'd be interesting with Arsenal. United and Arsenal next season, I can see it being quite a quite a close fight between the two of them for second. So yeah, that's my that's my thinking. Good. I like that thinking. It's all cohesive. It makes a lot of sense. Um, like I said, I, I do I do hope I'm wrong. It's one of those ones where you feel like, as a fan, if I think they're going to finish second, then I probably should bring it down a little bit because there's obvious bias. <laughs> there's obvious bias going into that that I just cannot help. Yeah, like I've been said, affected by hubris, but there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, different sides of the same coin. Um, yeah, I think Anana will make a huge difference to the way we play. I do think Hoyland is an upgrade, obviously, on Veghorst. I don't think Hoyland is the starting striker for a side that's finishing second in the Premier League. That's what that's that's my my sort of gut feeling on that's that. That's the nagging doubt, isn't it? But then yeah, United I... finished third last season without a recognised striker really at all. And with a goalkeeper yeah. who didn't play Ten Hag's way at all. So yeah, that's what and gives then my me hope. I guess my counter argument to that is we didn't quite deserve to finish third. I don't think. I think a couple of nice bounces of the ball, a bit of luck, maybe got us there. Maybe I'm being harsh on that. I'm looking too far into the data. I don't know. But yeah, look, I mean, if we finish between second and third this season and we're fairly competitive for most of it and we have a, a fairly late run into the Champions League, at least getting to the knockouts, I'd be happy. I think I don't think Ten Hag should be there. Should be any conversation of Ten Hag getting the sack if that's what happens. And I think some United fans might might drift towards that. I think that would be absolute nonsense. No, they better not be. That would be the completely the opposite of the joined up and cohesive thinking that we're talking about. It's it's a project. This and Ten Hag is literally just one year into it. Mm. Um, you know, it's got it's got to be time. It's got to be patience. It's got to be almost waiting for City to fall on their sword for Guardiola to go and then pouncing, yeah. making sure you're in the perfect position to swoop on and capitalize on, on that transition that inevitably will take yeah. place at some point. I think all United fans are hoping that sooner rather than later. Yeah. I mean, every great team in history of every single sport has at some point stopped being great. It is inevitable. Yeah. I think that will happen when Guardiola decides enough's enough. I was hoping that a treble would be enough for him to be like enough's enough, but clearly yeah. it's not. He yeah. really, he, he clearly likes it there because Barcelona got a bit too much room. Bayern Munich, it was three years, and then see you later. I need a break. City, they've they've set it up perfectly, and this is where they deserve credit as well. They've set up the club to be perfect for him. Like people, these work with the Barcelona at the at the higher ups. It's very joined up thinking. The players are buying into it. It really is perfect for him. I just hope that at some point he gets bored or stre too stressed or something like that because it, it is at that point where, yeah, there's an opening. And I hope, and I feel actually that United should be at that point in a very good position to take that up. And that 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 fills me with hope. Yeah, yeah. For this season, maybe not. For a future season, let's see. Let's see. Uh, so we've gone Man City top. Um you say Arsenal second, I say United second, uh, reverse that for third. You've gone Liverpool fourth, um, and I've yep. gone Chelsea fourth, um, I've gone Liverpool fifth, and you've gone Chelsea fifth. And then we've both said Newcastle sixth and Spurs seventh. Um, let's write those down, pin them to the wall uh, <laughs> and see how wrong we are uh, come May. Yeah, yeah. Or well, even like halfway through the season, we have a little review, use this episode as sort of the, the episode to have a review of that'd be quite interesting yeah absolutely uh, I think this is our longest podcast as well it's uh that pre-match pre-season sorry excitement has clearly got the got the best of us and we, <laughs> we've got so much to say um about the season that's about to take shape in front of us I can't wait uh the women's world cup is just about keeping me going but I've been desperate for football that's been my my wife the other day is saying like oh it feels like the premier league's like barely been away and I was like it feels like it's been forever it feels like like it's it's been like a year since I've watched like competitive football so I, I cannot yeah wait. yeah I I noted to myself that I've just got a 
big new TV and a big new Sky package, and it's just a few days before the Premier League starts. There's no, there's no coincidence happening there. I don't think, even that, even if that was subconscious in my head. I bloody, I'd <laughs> yeah. like to be. Yeah, that'd be good. Well, I, I'll um, get in touch with them. Anyway, yeah, that's pretty much all we've got for uh, time for today's podcast. Thanks for, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me, uh, Alex, and giving your uh, detailed thoughts and predictions. No, I re- obviously really enjoyed this one. Um, as much as I love talking about United, it is nice to take a broader view sometimes. So, yeah, really enjoyed it. Great. And we'll be back um, after the first round of games and we'll see what happens. Please join us on Name of the Trophy uh, and keep listening, subscribing uh, and all that jazz. Thank you very much.